Ladies, welcome. It's Arab Shabbat. I know the time is short. We're learning Parashat Balak. I don't pick the Parashiyot. These are difficult Parashiyot. They're not easy at all. Although we can make them easy. You know, if you just came to hear a story, we can make it very easy for you. That there was a guy called Bil'am. He was an anti-Semite. He met a guy called Balak, just as bad. And they conspired together. And they came to curse the Jewish people. Bil'am went on a mountain. The curses, instead of being curses, turned into blessings. And everybody lived happily ever after. Except Balak and Bil'am, of course. That's story time. And uh, if that's what you came for, you got it. There it is. The problem is, when we tell this story over, we're bound to tell it over from the text. And the text is made up of words. And words have meaning. So if you really want to know the true story what happened, instead of just giving a, a light overview, like most people will do, then you have to subject yourself to the text. And you have to read the words, and you have to make analysis on the words. And you have to ask questions. And then once you ask questions, you start to give answers, and then you start to see <clears throat> it's not exactly what you thought initially. Now, this is what we do in yeshiva. In yeshiva, the havdil, we're like lawyers. Lawyers always start with the text. A document. And then they have to read the document and they have to try to analyze and see exactly what is it saying, what's the implications, what's the inferences, what do the commas mean, what do the periods mean. That's lawyer's work. The Habdil, when we come to study Torah, we have to come with a book in front of us and read the words. One of the masters of this approach was a rabbi called the Malbim. The Malbim, any of his commentaries, whenever he talks, he's going to say something refreshing. He's going to say something that's, that's new. But when you hear the way he subjects his opinion to the text, you say he's got to be right. Because he doesn't just say it in the air. He says, what I'm telling you is in the Pesukim. And then you read the Pesukim and you say, wow, how, did, how didn't I see this? It's right in front of my nose. And I missed it all these years. So, what I'd like to attempt today in front of Nashim Tzedkaniyot is something that I would have done in the yeshiva. But as I always say, why should you be deprived from what they do in the yeshiva just because you wear a dress? We shouldn't hold your dress code against you. And you modest ladies, why shouldn't you be able to hear what the, the men with their hats and their White shirts also here. You're just as qualified. But it's going to take some energy upon the listener to. And if you have a homash in front of you, better if you have a book in front of you so you'll be able to see the points that we're making. All right, that's the introduction. So the Pasuk says, Vayar Balak ben Sipor, there was a fellow called Balak ben Sipor. He saw Et Kod Asher Asai Yisrael La'emori. Last parasha we read how the Jewish people went against a major superpower called Emori and Bnei Yisrael was able to defeat them. I mean, hands down, it wasn't even a, a contest. So Balak is, you know, he's smart and he sees how strong the Jewish people are and he sees what we did to the Emori. Now the next pasuk changes channels for a minute. Put Balak on the side. Vayagor Moav Me'od. The pasuk says, the people of Moav, Vayagor, Maze Vayagor, Vayagor Shehayum Fahadim. Pahad, Maze Pahad. They were afraid. <coughs> How afraid were they? Well, the pasuk says, Me'od. So that we would say they were petrified. 
you can't blame them. They were afraid of the Jewish people. Kiravu. So, and then the third thing the Pasuk tells us, Vayakots Moab Yisrael. What does Vayakots mean? Moab was disgusted with the Jewish people. So they weren't our friends. <clears throat> so we have already, Balak is looking at this militarily. He says, militarily these people just beat the Imuri. And we're not equipped to fight them like the Imuri was able to. And they lost, so we're in trouble. The people themselves outside of Balak were just afraid. And they were very afraid. But they both had something in common, both Balak and the people. They hated the Jews. They were all ardent anti-Semites. Now that's a catch-22. <clears throat> I'll explain you the catch-22. In, in, in nations, when you have two nations that are up against each other, you have two options. One option is the option of war. The second option is the option of peace. Those are the two choices. In this case, peace is not an option. Why? Vayakutsu. Because they hate the Jews. So there's no way that they're gonna come along now and sign a, uh, an accord or some sort of treaty in order to make uh, peace. The Emirates made peace with Israel. They probably made peace with themselves because they saw it in their advantage to make peace with Israel. Uh, I think Chamberlain once said that nations don't have permanent friends and nations don't have permanent enemies. Nations have permanent interests. <laughs> so therefore, you know, if they're making peace, it's because it's their interest to make peace, not because they love, they love the Jews. But even, even to find a common interest, Balak and Moab people cannot find. And therefore peace is off the table. So there's no sense of bringing in negotiators uh, to try to settle some sort of uh, like Putin, like Putin and, uh, and Ukraine. He's not interested in making peace. There's disgust, there's disdain. All right, so now we have another option. What's the other option? War. But that's not an option either. Number one, the people of Moab, Balak, his army, they're not equipped. If B'nai Israel were able to beat the stronger nation of Emuri, so it's lopsided. Why would you go into a war that the generals are telling you, you will lose? So war is not an option. But there's a second reason why war wasn't an option. To go to war, you need soldiers. Now the worst soldier is a scared soldier. That's why the Arabs are not such good soldiers. You know, they talk a lot. But once they shoot the first bullet, they start running. They panic. Well, in this case over here, you couldn't even get the Moab soldiers on the field because they were scared. So where was the army of Moab hiding under the table? So you can't go to war because there's, no, there's nobody capable, which is even if, let's say, all things are even, even if all things are balanced, the soldiers have pahad, and therefore they're all MIA. They're missing in action, but that's not the right word there, which we call in the, in the military the AWOL. That means they are all fleeing their posts out of fear. So this is, this is the problem politically that faces uh, Balak and the people. Now, I just told you a story, but the Malbim read that in the text. You never read the text like that. I, I want you to appreciate what we just did. You're saying, oh, he didn't say anything yet. We knew this. You didn't know this. You didn't know anything that I just told you. Just like I didn't know it before I read the Malbim. I didn't read this as an analysis of should we go to war or should we make peace and I didn't realize that there's Balak's opinion and then there's the people's opinion and then they have in common that they hate but that's the setup so he has to do something that's unconventional 
What's the unconventional move? We'll get Bil'am. And somehow Bil'am can solve all these problems. We don't have to go to war yet. We won't make peace. We'll give it to Bil'am. Now listen to the language. He sends people to Bil'am. Now keep in mind, these people are living in Mu'av. Bil'am lives in Aram Naharayim. It's far away. Uh, that's where um, Aram Naharayim, that's where Abraham was, that's why the, the Avot all went Aram Naharayim. It's the old country. That's where Laban lived, Aram Naharayim. So you're going all the way back to, uh, to the book of Bereshit. It's far away. Now listen to what he tells him. Am Explain. What does that mean? Behold. Nation. nation. Now, me and you know who that nation is, by the way. Who's the nation that came out of Mitzrayim? Israel. Israel. But it doesn't say, I mean, we have, we have a word for that. Am Yatsam and Mitzrayim, a lot of words, by the way. Now, obviously, Balak wasn't, wasn't uh, paying for his words. You know, he didn't have, it wasn't his water bill, so he could afford to waste words. I mean, I would have just said, He never Israel. No, instead he says it in a, like this. Our rabbis used to say in yeshiva, when we would ask a question that's a funny type of question, they would say, there's a guy, he wants to scratch his right ear. So, the normal way is, you take your right hand, you scratch, another guy goes like this, he scratches it like this. He says, what are you going over here for? What are you, what are you going backwards for? Just ask your question. He am am he makes it to me very vague. It's almost as if I get the feeling he doesn't want Bil'am to know yet who he's talking about. So therefore he says, Am, Am And for good reason. Because if you're trying to make a, a deal with somebody, you're trying to convince him so he says yes. Now, what I think is, Malbim says, that if Bil'am's going to say, the Jewish people, Bil'am's going to say, oh, do me a favor, you want me to go up against the Jewish people, these people, they topple down Paro, they... so therefore he wants to make it, yeah, I'm, I'm who, I don't even, I didn't even ask. Maybe there was another nation that came out also. So he wants to maybe try to convince Bil'am, that's such a big job. You know, it's an easy thing. Or who are they? Truth of I should ask who they are. I didn't even ask them. I'm, I'm, I'll get back to you who they are. But as far as I know, I'm, I'm Yatsam and Mitzrayim. Not too, uh, not too famous. Do you understand how he's talking? Now watch. Listen to the language. Ve'ata. Ve'ata is now. Lechana, please. Arali eta'am. Explain. Maze arali. I don't know. Ara, Arur. Okay, okay. <laughs> He's basically saying, so now please come and curse this people. That's what you know. So now you learned how to say the word curse. Ara. Ara comes from the word Arur. Good. And what's going to help if you curse them? Not that I want you to curse them dead. That was never what Bil'am was hired for, to curse them dead. Maybe I will be able to diminish them a little. And then, And then as a result, I'll be able to go to war against them because all things will be equal. You understand how he's presenting it? He's saying, listen, I have... A big army. And the arming is raring to go. It doesn't mention anywhere that he has his soldiers shaking like leaves in the closet. He doesn't want to tell him that. If you're, you don't tell everybody your weakness. So Balak wants to present himself in a strong position. Not showing his vulnerability or his insecurity. So what does he say? We're ready to go. But my generals are telling me, it's a little lopsided that these, uh, this arm, whoever they are, 
they have a little advantage. So all I'm asking you to do is, if you could come and curse, and your curse basically will diminish them a bit, now it'll be a fair fight, and then, and I'll tell the soldiers, tell them, go, I give what is. So far, so good? So now, the question is, on purpose, he makes no mention again of his army not being an army. He doesn't talk about how much fear and fright and trepidation and pahad the nation is under. The question is, does Bil'am, how smart is Bil'am? That's the question. So I'll tell you, I don't, I don't like to compliment Bil'am, I'm not his uh, defense lawyer. But he's smart. Listen, he was a prophet. He had chokmah. The guy wasn't some... Uh, I mean, he was a perfect. You could be smart and a perfect at the same time. Now, I don't think that's a contradiction. I know a lot of those type of people. But the point is, listen to what Bil'am does when he hears the, uh, the solicitation. The pasuk comes along and says, They come to Bil'am. They tell him exactly what Balak said. So he says, listen, stay overnight. And you know, God will come to me, he usually comes to me at night. And I'll present the uh, question, and tomorrow morning uh, you'll have an answer. Exactly. Elohim comes to Bil'am. So Bil'am tells Elohim, You know, I mean, Bil'am such an arrogant guy. He thinks he has to tell God what happened. What he should say is, God, you know what's happened. I have to tell you what happened. You're God, you know exactly who came to me. You know what they were wearing. You know what they were thinking. You know what they're going to do tomorrow. You know what they did yesterday. But instead, Bil'am thinks God is like, uh, you know, not aware. So he said, let me tell you what happened, God. Uh, uh, but now listen to what he says. Tell me if you hear any differences. I'll say it again. Oh, very good. He adds the hair. Balak never said ha'am. Balak said hine am. So Bil'am says, he thinks I don't know who he's talking about. What is he thinking? I was born yesterday. He thinks I'm an Abal. Who does he think I am? He's, I know who he's talking about. It's not am, it's ha'am. Now whenever you put a hair before the word, that becomes he'ayidi'ah. In grammar they call it the definite article. I'm not going to confuse you with those fancy words. He'ayidi'ah. It's not just any old am, it's ha'am. So Bil'am says, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like the guy that goes to the rabbi and he says, uh, you know, rabbi, I have a friend, you know, he doesn't want to say, I have a friend that has a, a problem. There was one time a rabbi called Rav Naftali Rafshitz, and, and somebody came to Rav Naftali of Rafshitz, and he said, the rabbi, I have a friend, and he has a problem. So the rabbi said, so why doesn't your friend come? He said, no, my friend is embarrassed. He says, let him come and say that he has a friend. <laughs> That's the rabbi saying, I know it's you. <laughs> he said, I know that trick of it. He says, if he's embarrassed, let him come and say, I have a friend. Anyway, so that was, uh, that was Balak. Yeah, I don't know who it is. Uh, somebody. However, when it comes to Bil'am retelling the story, he says, I know exactly what he means. Now watch. So he asked me now, Lecha, Kavali Oto. Kava. What is Kava? Kuf bet he. I look at the English. Now go and curse. Hold it. He didn't use that word Kava. He used the word Ara. And Bil'am changes the words. Now the English, you won't catch this. Because the English just says, curse, curse. But the Malbim says there must be a difference between Kava and Ara. And for some reason, Balak did not use the word Kaaba. 
But Bil'am understood from him that he means Kaaba. And therefore he says, just like he didn't tell me about Ha'am, he didn't tell me about Kaaba either. But don't worry, that's why I get paid a lot of money, because I understand when people talk, and therefore I know exactly what he wants from me. So the million dollar question is, what's the difference between Arali and Kavali? You're learning now, make believe you're in Ulpan. We're going to learn Hebrew language once and for all. Now, in, in English, I don't know if you have this nuance. If I say, uh, uh, curse. So if you look at the dictionary, there's probably a whole list of words that are synonyms for the word curse. A diatribe, whatever it may be. But they're all the same. But in Hebrew, there's no words that are exactly the same. Every word has a different connotation. So what's the difference between Kaaba and Ara? Says the Malbim, so beautiful. He says the word Arur or Ara, Ara, comes from the Hebrew word for curse, which is Me'era. You don't learn too much Mishnah, I'm sure. But a lot of times in the Mishnah it says, Oh, the Gemara, Tavo Me'era. God forbid when the Gemara is putting a curse on somebody. Tavo Me'era. And Me'era literally means a catastrophe. A disaster. Says the Malbim, whenever you use the word Arud, you're referring to the consequence of the curse. The curse will bring to tragedy. The curse will bring to downfall. The curse will bring to negative. Arur is a curse, but it's referred to the negative result of what the curse. Kaaba, on the other hand, means to express a curse, but it has no result. It's just a curse. It doesn't have any, any consequence. Almost like the curses that we have today. If somebody comes along, forgive me, and curses you today, I don't mean a curse where they say, you know, this one should die. That They say a curse word against you. Does that do anything to you? It has no consequence. It's just a word. It's a word that they chose as a, as a word of curse. So if somebody throws that word at you, is there any effect of such a word? That's not. That's Kaaba. A curse that does not have consequence. Should I give you an example? I'll give you an example. The Megadef. The Megadef is the one that blasphemes God. It, he uses God's name and he curses. He curses Hasbush Shalom, he curses Hashem. That's called the Megadef. And if you look at that Pasuk, when it talks about the Megadef, what does it say? Venokev. It calls him a nokev. Why? Because his curse will have no impact on Hashem. No matter what he says about Hashem, it's zero consequence. It's not nice words, it's not pretty, it's not proper, but it's not diminishing Hashem by one iota. You understand the difference? Now Bil'am actually need Balak actually needs Bil'am to do two things, if he was honest, but he's not honest. He needs him to do Ara, to curse, because he needs to diminish B'nai Yisrael, so they can go to war. And as long as they're going to be strong and not minimized, it's not going to be a, a fair fight. So he will tell them Arali. But that's not going to be enough, you know why? Because the soldiers are still scared and they're not going to war. So how are you going to solve that? The real solution is that if Bil'am would just come and stand on the mountain and start throwing curses to B'nai Yisrael, even if they're hollow, empty curses, you know what that will do for the morale of the people? The morale of the people will say, wow, this guy Bil'am, he's a famous guy. Take that back, infamous, man of notoriety, bad reputation, but he was considered uh, by the Guyin, that was considered, you're hiring the, the most influential guy. 
So you know what that would do to the soldiers when they would see that Bil'am is on top? Even if nothing consequential is coming out of his mouth, just empty curses. But the people will feel now empowered. They'll say, oh, we got Bil'am on our side. Therefore, it'll motivate them to get out of bed to go fight. The Ara will actually diminish B'nai Israel to make the war equal. The Kaaba won't do anything to B'nai Israel, but it'll lift the morale of the people. So to solve Balak's problem, his problem, he's looking at it from a military standpoint. He's looking at it, hey, they're stronger than us. So I need Bil'am Ta'arali to curse them, to lower them down a bit, a consequential curse, and now that we're equal, we'll fight. But Bil'am also needs... Forget about, from a military standpoint, at this point, he doesn't even have a military. Because the Basuk says, So how do I lift and boost the morale of the military? Bil'am, just come stand on the mountain and make all your curses, whatever, even if they have no consequence. But the people will say, oh, Bil'am's on our side. Okay, I can rile them up. How can we lose? Bil'am's with us, the great prophet. And therefore, it'll get us to war. So when Balak is giving the initial proposal, what does he say? I need you to Arali. He doesn't want to tell him that he's dealing with an army that's AWOL. He doesn't want to tell him what kind of trouble they're in. He says, everything's good. Everything's fine. All I need is a little, uh, little curse or two to diminish the people. And then he uses the word, and then I can chase them out myself with the army. And who are these people? Ah, um, who knows who they are? Maybe when I find out, I'll send you a text. And Bilam comes along and says, oh, now, now listen how beautiful. Bil'am now has to convince God. You see, everybody over here is convincing somebody that needs to be convinced. So when Balak wants to convince Bil'am, he says, yeah, everything's fine. I don't need you to fight. I just need you to curse. Then I'll snap my fingers. The army will come in to get a Steve. When Bil'am is going to come to God, he knows God's not going to want to curse the people. So he doesn't say... To curse, he says, Kabali, all he wants me to do is get up and say a couple of uh, empty words, thinking that God will say, Oh, that's all it is. Uh, big deal. So go over there. Uh, you're going to get up there and say, uh, You know, abracadabra, big deal. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, go there. Say your whole speech. Big deal. So Bil'am, first of all, shows us that he understood not only what Balak told him, but he also understood what Balak was not telling him. He knows what he was proposed, and he also knows what Balak is keeping in his pocket. And how did he know? Dear ladies, how did he know Bil'am? Don't tell me God because he was such a smart guy. Because he heard something. If all he wants me to do is Arali, curse, why do I have to travel all the way from Aram Naharayim to Moab? We could do it. We could do it on the Zoom. We do a Zoom, uh, Zoom chat. We'll do it remote. Remote curse. We'll make a time. You'll go on the Zoom over there. No curse. And we'll make a Zman. Like we do everybody today. Everybody's working remote. Why does Bilam have to get out of his pajamas? Let him stay in his pajamas. And let him stay home. And let him say, i curse. If all they want me to do is to curse, I can curse from home. But why is he telling me to make a trip all the way from the end of the world to Moab? Because he wants me that he needs the people to see me. He needs the people to see me. That's not going to work from home. The fact that he's saying, Lecha, hurry up, come down. He's, what do you think, I don't speak English? He's telling me to come down because he needs me to be on location so the people will, will get lifted up. Therefore, although he didn't use those words, he said Arali, but I know what he really wants. He also wants Kabali. So when he's talking to God, he doesn't tell him the curse, because he knows he's talking about his people. So he says Kabali, figuring that God will give permission 
on the lighter of the two. Ivantim? Ivantim? Let's read the text again. Kabali, now watch this, look how beautiful. And by, by doing Kabali, by making an empty curse, but lifting the morale of the people, Ulai that'll cause them to fight. That's not what Balak said. Balak said, curse and I will chase them. But he says, no, they're not even going to war. <laughs> He's putting chasing, they're scared out of their pants, they want to get out of bed. So therefore I need to kabali widely lahem to get them to actually fight. And then with the curse, they'll have a chance maybe to, to win. So there's three differences that Bil'am makes in his petition to God than the way he was petitioned by Balak. Number one, he changes Am into Ha'am. He changes Arali into Kabali. And he changes what Balak said, and he says, <laughs> Big difference. You're already talking about Begirashtiv. But we cannot get to Begirashtiv if they don't want to go fight. And therefore I will come just to lift them up, to get them out of the front door to go fight. Now once you have this introduction, now it'll take us three days to learn the parasha like this. But it just shows you how far away we are from the truth. Because we don't have time. We're too busy. So therefore we have to give these parashiot very quickly and we don't have time to look at the text and you start to say, wow, the whole story over here. I never heard this story like this before. Go to your husbands tonight. Don't make me crazy over here. It's the same thing. Don't be crazy over here. Just make, go make dinner. Leave me alone. But there's a difference. There's no difference. Rabbi mentioned those difference. Go, go ask the rabbi, what are you asking me for? But there's differences. Ask them why it says Am Ha'am. Oh, but leave us alone with these tiktikunim and these diktukim. But that's where all the, all the magic is in the details. Now, watch. What does God answer? Bil'am. Vayomir Elohim el Bil'am. Lo telech imahim. Don't go with them. Don't curse the people. Ah, to me that sounds like a double language. Shouldn't God just have said, don't, what does God want from Bilam? Don't curse. So shouldn't he just say, I don't want you to curse. Why is he saying two things? Because Bil'am really is asking God for two things, which is really the two things that Balak wanted. And therefore, Lo telech imahem tekaba. Velo even if you stay home. Even from home. You understand? He's telling him two things you can't do. I don't want you to go there and give them even an empty curse. Because for the Kaaba, it's got to be on location. I don't want you to go. And I'll stay home. No, don't, don't curse them from home either. I don't want you not to be Kaaba, and I don't want you to be Ara. Now if you can ask me a question. What does Bori Alam care? If the, let him go curse. If the curses are going to be empty anyway, so let him curse. So Hatam Sofer says, a parent never wants to hear his children get cursed, even if the curse doesn't mean anything. If, if you're a parent, you're a mother, and you're somebody cursing your child, even though he's saying words that don't mean anything, it hurts you still. So the pasuk says, Velo ava Hashem God did not want to hear even empty curses coming out of Bil'am's mouth, because they're directed to Bnei Yisrael, Ki Hashem Hashem loves us. So therefore he says, I don't want you to do anything. So now he reports back. And the Pasuk says, listen, comes the next morning. I mean, you can't get a clearer instructions from God. God basically is telling Bil'am, absolutely not. I mean, I don't know what language you have to speak. This is the clearest 
It's a resounding no with a capital N and a capital O. You can't go. You can't go for this, you can't go for that. So what does he answer to the messengers the next morning? He says, well, listen, I had a communication with God last night. But I'm sorry. Just go home. God refuses for me to go with you. <laughs> Listen, when you, when you are not, uh, uh, I'll say it differently. There's a saying in America, you hear what you want to hear. When a person already has something in his head, no matter what you tell him, he's going to hear what he wants to hear. Finished. And you, you, can't, you can't change him. If he wants to hear the word yes, you can tell him no, you can write him a letter, you can hit him on the head with a hammer. He's not going to hear no, he's going to hear yes. Bil'am in his brain, he wants to go. So God says, Lo 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 lo. What does Bil'am say the next day? God said yes, but not with you. Listen to the language. He says, God is refusing me to go in Machem because you're not respectable enough. God wants me to go. It's just that you're not the right messengers. So therefore, if you maybe send me, uh, instead of sending me people from Congress, send me a few senators next time. And then maybe, because again, God feels for, for my respect, it wasn't respectful what you did over here. You sent a couple of uh, Democrats from the House of Representatives, a couple of liberals, and they came to try to uh, uh, convince me. Uh, send some Hashul people. Look at this. You hear what you want to hear. Anyway, they go back to Balak, and they say, He wants to come, but he doesn't want to come with us. Imanu. So what does he do? He sends sarim that were nikhbadim, that were more honorable. You following the story? Now watch this. Now this might be the saddest pasuk in the perasham. Balak has sent a message to you. Please do not refrain from coming. <laughs> because he says he will give you a lot of respect. Now how pathetic is this? I mean, there are people that they love respect. They're addicted to respect. But how low do you have to be that you have to actually spell it out. That if you come, we will give you a lot of respect. I mean, that shows you how addicted this guy was, that they're not even embarrassed to say it. If, 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 if I'm inviting you to my wedding, I say, please come, and you're going to get a lot of respect. And I start to tell you, I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to oh, that's how needy you are. After, come to my wedding, because you might know. And Bil'am is not embarrassed to be told that he's going to get a lot of respect and they're not ashamed to even offer him. Usually respect is something that happens naturally, but you don't make a contract. It shows you how low these people were. But anyway, what does he say? Whatever you tell me, I'll do. Now already... Balak is being a little more honest. He said, listen, if you don't want to come for Arali, because that you told me no, so at least could you come for Kabali? Maybe God doesn't want you to curse these people consequentially, but now he changes the deal on them. He says, Kabali, just come stand on the mountain, build up the people's spirits, and then we'll go to war, now he's admitting, you know why I told you to come? Because there's pahad over here. I don't have an army. I don't have one soldier. And of course, Balaam will say, Yatipesh, I figured it out already. I think, you think I didn't know? I knew exactly what you wanted from me. But now Balak is saying it explicitly. 
קמה לי. And then Bil'am says, listen, even if you'd give me all the gold and the silver, I cannot transgress God's word. How do you learn these words? I cannot transgress God's words. Not to do something small and not to do something big. He should just say, I cannot transgress God's word. Period. How do you learn? Well, based on the way the Malbim taught us, we know exactly what it means. A curse of Kaaba, which has no consequence, that's a small thing. A curse of Ara, which is a curse that has catastrophe, that's Gedolah. And therefore, he says, I cannot transgress God not to do Ketana or Gedolah. He's not letting me come not to do the small thing and not to do the big thing. Hence, these words Ketana and Gedolah correspond Ara and Kaaba. Ladies, I don't know if you appreciate the beauty of it like I do. When I see this, because it's in the text now. Now already I'm reading a new story over here. Without these introductions, it's a very bland story with a lot of extra letters and a lot of extra words. And we just say, uh, don't pay attention, don't pay attention. But the Torah is written by God Himself. So every word that He's going to write has to have a, an enlightenment. Now look what happens. Let's go a little further. So now we get to the actual, with the actual curses. Let's go to uh, which pasuk? Uh, let's go to pasuk. What is it? Yud Zayin, Ted Zayin, those we saw. Now he goes. But Allah says, okay, go, but make sure you don't, uh, you don't curse them. But he goes, he got him to go. Bil'am, I'm not saying he convinced God, because he's wrong for going, but Hashem said, you know what, you want to go, just go. Sometimes when God sees somebody so predetermined to make a sin, but Allah says, if that's what you want to do, as they say in America, good luck to you. So now what happens? comes to uh, Moab, he shows up. I'm here. So he says, okay, bring some, uh, bring some korbanot, bring some sacrifices. So they have seven mizbechot, they bring sacrifices. And now he's going to start. The first words that come out of his mouth. I'm in Pasuk, Perech Abgimad, Pasuk Zayin. He opens his mouth and he says, This guy, Melech Moab, he brought me all the way from Aram. What is he saying? I could not have done this from where I was because I need to be here so the people will see. That's why, And he brought me from the, the mountains of the east. And then he told me something else. And he told me also not only to uh, 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 come, because I could have done it from home. No, he wanted me to come to Kaaba, and he wanted me to curse as well, to do both things. But then he says, But he asked me Arali, but guess what? Not only can't I do Arali, but Ma'ekob, I can't even do Kabali. I cannot do either of them. God has refrained me from doing not Ketana and not Gedola. He asked me initially, like it says, Arali, that's what he told me initially. But guess what? Not only can I do Arali, but Ma'kabo, Lokabo, and I can't even do Kabali. Now watch what happens. And this is a very important 
That's the text. Okay, we're done with that. Now I'm going to teach you a lesson. Although I don't have to teach a lesson. I think we did enough. Some people, they say, but we didn't, we didn't learn anything practical. Some people, they come to a class, they have to learn a moral of the story. Like when, you, when your mother read your book before you went to sleep at night. The three bears. And then the last page, the moral of the story is... So they think that when you go to Torah class, what did you learn? Text. Does that make you a better Jew? Yes, it makes you a better Jew. That's it. You learn how to learn. You don't always have to have a musab. So I, I feel that I, 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 I did what I have to do here this morning. But there are some people that again, they say, no, but we need a takeaway. We need a musab, you know, a lesson over there. What do you think, in yeshiva, we, th- we have morals of the story every single day? We're learning. That's the moral of the story. We learned. We learned how to learn homash properly. That's the biggest takeaway, and that's the biggest pleasure you can give God. You've respected His words. You respected His, his lashon. You understood it properly. But I'm happy. What more do you want to do? But for those that still are not satisfied, so I'll say one word. Yesterday was the yard site of Ola Haim HaKadosh of Haim bin Attar Allah Shalom. A few months back actually in September I was approached by some good people at the Orthodox Union, the OU and they asked me that if I could record every week a short piece from the Ola Haim HaKadosh and the Parasha and I accepted upon myself. I thought it would be good for me to get to learn the words of these great rabbis. So we started Bereshit, and every week, so far, we recorded a little synopsis of Orach uh, HaMakadosh. Then they send it out. I don't know what they do with it. They put it on a website, I think, whatever they do with it. It's on, uh, I think, Aitorah uh, as well. And I'm very grateful because gems, this rabbi, gems. And the Jod site was Thursday, the 15th of Tammuz. The Baal Shem Tov said about Ura Hamakadosh that he has the Ruach of Mashiach bin David. The spirit of Mashiach was in Ura Hamakadosh. He explains one of the blessings that Bil'am gave the people. One of the Pesukim it says, he stands on the mountain. Now, no curses are coming out of his mouth because that's it. God shut the Wi Fi so he couldn't curse. He says at one point, Lohibit Avin Beyakov, Velora Amal Be Israel. What does it mean? Lohibit Avin Beyakov. You know what Avin is? Avin is sin. Sin, S I N. Avin, wrongdoing. Lohibit Avin Beyakov. God does not see sin in Yaakov. Who's Yaakov? Us. And God did not see amal. Amal is English, iniquity. It's another $10 word. It also means sin. It's almost as if Bil'am is saying. Blessing. Yeah, he's blessing them for sure. And he's saying that God is blind to the sins of Israel. Wow. Is that so? Is that so that God does not look at the sins of Israel? I wish somebody would have told me that so many years ago. I was so worried about sin all these years. And now Bil'am tells me, guess what? Don't tell, don't see. Don't see, don't tell. He doesn't see anything. Lora has a blindfold on. Lora comes along and says, wait. We're talking about two different types of Jews in this Pasuk because in the beginning of the Pasuk it says, Lo he beat Abin Biyakov. Israel. Is there a difference between Yaakov and Israel? Says the Rav, yes. 
Yaakov is the regular Jews. Like me. Regular people. Bourgeoisie. The common, the common folk. Yisrael, oh, that's the Sadiqim, like yourselves. Nashim said, that's Israel's a high level. We could put everybody in the Jewish nation into two categories. Either you're part of Yaakov or you're part of Israel. Yaakov is regular, mainstream, simple, regular Jews that, you know, they make mistakes sometimes. And then you have Israel. Israel, I would say, is the Sadiqim, that said, that's Israel. So far, so good. Says the Rab, is there a difference between Hibit and Ra'ah? Lo Hibit, Aben Be'Yaakov, Velo Ra'ah. If I say Lehabit, what does Lehabit mean? To see, to look. To look, to see. I don't know, tell me. Lehabit. Oh, Hazaka, Berucha, wonderful. So there is a difference. Yes, There's a difference between lehabit or lirot. Says what I'm going to. What's the difference? So he says his difference, and I think it's just what you mean. He says as follows: lirot is to look superficially, uh, casually. You see something. Lehabit is to scrutinize, to look. Deep. Analyze it. Exactly. It's, deliberate. it's a deliberate look. It's a more uh, 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 deep type of looking. Where it's, it's kabanah, she says. It's more deliberate. That beat is to... It ought, it's more... You know, you look, you see it. But then you study the, the depthness of it. Habata is always deeper than ri'iyah. I'm walking down the street. I see a lot of things. And it ought, I see it ought. But I stopped to look at his flower. That's Lahabit already. I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm taking something and I'm looking at it now with deeper, deeper scrutiny. So he says like this. When you look at the Sadiq, you know why you don't see the sins of the Sadiq? Because he doesn't have any sins. So when God makes a Ri'iyah at the Sadiq, he looks, When God looks at the Sadi, he sees nothing because there's nothing there. But says the Rab, when he looks at the regular Jew, when he's Ra'ah, he sees sin. But when he's Mabit, when he looks deep into the Jew, he doesn't see sin. It's something deep here from the Ram. In the depth of the Jew is good. Even though you might see on the outside, on the superficial, you'll see Averot, you'll see mistakes, you'll see wrongdoing. It might even be intentional, God forbid. But you have to know, says the Rab, that doesn't mean that the Jew is bad. Because ultimately, the inside of the Jew, he has the Shabbat Ultimately, the people are good, the kids are good, the parents are good, the nation is good. It's just that they get sidetracked, they get bitten by the Yetzirah. So therefore, Borei Olam says, Yisrael afal pi shehata Yisraelu. You can never lose your status of being the children of God, of the chosen people. I, if you sin, that's an aberration, but that's not who you are. That's not your essence. Maybe by the other nations, that's who they are. They're wired differently than us. So the Pasuk is saying, Lohibit Aven be Yaakov. When God's looking at the mainstream, at the Yaakov, the regular people, it doesn't say Lora'ah because when he looks, he sees sins. The sins are right in front of him. But when he looks deep, Lohibit Aben Biyakov. But when you look deep beyond the surface, you don't say anything there. The inner element of the spark of the Jew is pure. When it comes to the Sadiqim, 
He doesn't even see on the outside. Even, even looking superficial, there's no sins. Because a tzaddik is a tzaddik. Something to, to think about. I think about it a lot because... I think about it a lot because as a teacher and a rabbi in the community, we have to be reminded of this, of this lesson that the people are ultimately good people. Even though we see a lot of a lot of wrongs going on. And what Ayyemekado says, yes, from a superficial look, the Re'iyah is bad. But you have to have patience with them because ultimately, if you're able to tap into the inside of these people, you'll be able to bring them back. And that's why this Pasuk makes it into the Musaf prayer of Rosh Hashanah. You know, in Rosh Hashanah we have the Malchuyot, Zichronot, Shofarot. So there's ten Pesukim that talk about God's Melech, that is the king. And one of the Pesukim is from this week's Parashah. It makes it to Rosh Hashanah. Lo hebit aven be'yakob ve'lo ra'ah amal be'yisrael. Adonai Elohav emmo utru'at melech bo. That's Malchuyot. Which we were saying, God is with these people. Utru'at melech bo. And they have the friendship. They have the friendship of the king. Even though, that's what we say on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, God looks at the inside of the Jew. And the inside is good. This is a, a consolation for us. That's why we don't give up hope. There's a lot to covet and be jealous about our great community. And there's a lot that we should be ashamed of about great community. There's a lot of things that are not desirable at all. And it's not for me on Erev Shabbat to come along now and uh, list the desirable or certainly the undesirable. I'm not going to be like Bil'am today that comes to curse the people especially not during this week's Pirashah. But I have a lot of things on my mind that I'm not happy with, with the direction of our great community. And it gets lost in all the good that we're doing. The good is so good that it has the ability to cover up and eclipse. Sometimes when the, the sun is so bright, so it's blinding, you can't see anything else. But when the sun starts to set, you see all the garbage on the streets and all the dirt. You say, well, I didn't notice it. We have a lot of good. We have a lot of sunlight. There's nothing to talk. But if you look, you'll see that it's blinding the things that are not proper. I don't want to be explicit on Erev Shabbat, as I said. Maybe another time, maybe in Sudash Lishit, if I feel the time is appropriate. I don't, I don't have any uh, public statements to say on Erev Shabbat. We have to go into Shabbat. Bismillah, I said, we only want the Berakhah. But the lesson is that we have to see the good in the people. My rabbi, the founding rabbi of this congregation, Acham Baruch Ben Hayim, he saw a lot. And his message always was, the people are good. The people are good. But we would tell but Rabbi, well, this, 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 this. And he's right because... You see more deep. Exactly. He saw the depth. And when he was looking at the community, they were very far. And today they came much closer. So he was right. Who would have thought that people like that were able to become... So he, he, he saw it. Listen, Lawrence Sierra never had a class on Friday. For ladies, this is a relatively... A new phenomenon in our generation. So we're getting, we're getting, we're getting the, the community didn't look as religious maybe in certain parts, I'll say, as it looks. So we're coming, that doesn't mean only you that are here. Even the one that's the bum in the street has the same soul as you do. Even the bum that's dressed not like you and drinks not like you and behaves not like you and doesn't keep the... They're no different than you. They have the same soul that you have. 
But the job of the Rabbanim and the teachers is to see it. Because it's very easy to come along and say, ah, this is, write them off. And therefore say, these people are hopeless, they'll never come back. And we forget that even some people that are here might have been in that place. And if the rabbis would have said, go away. Me and my friends, when we came to Sharia Torah in 1982, <laughs> we came from Mag and David, we were regular Syrian kids. And our rabbis were able to see, obviously, some good in us. Good that maybe we didn't identify even with. But the Rabbanim saw it, and therefore they were patient, and they tolerated all our pranks and all our, you know, boys' things that we do. And at least, maybe not me, but my friends turned out half decent. So the point is, the point is, that that's Ashkafa, and that's a great lesson for Orah HaMakadosh. Lo hibit aven be'yakov. That even the Yaakovs amongst us, although you see superficially bad, but when you make a habata, when you make an in-depth scrutinization of what they are, you don't see any avin be'yakov ve'lo ra'ah ma'abisrein. Shabbat shalom. So we should see the good thing.